have a day job too. I work for the Department of Environment and do media relations um, here uh, in Montreal. So work until six. And then last week there was a festival here and I played a bunch of sets with different bands and myself. So it was like work all day rehearse once or even twice, maybe three times at night. <laughs> I didn't know the day job part. Uh, that seems like a pretty, pretty handy skill to have as a musician to also be in on the promotion side of things. Yeah, I I feel like I've always had a day job, mostly always had a day job, which has been nice. Um, but it, get, it can be a lot depending on like where you are in the cycle of things. And yeah, right now it feels like a lot. <laughs> working with people um someone uh, set this up and and you yeah. you know you've got the label you've got some people working with you but musicians have to be their own self-promoters right musicians have to yeah. like know how to handle the media and now you sort of have that side of things yeah for sure i mean yeah i mean i, I went to school for communications and i've done like pr for people in the past and for myself so yeah it's like i think it's like useful also just to know now having people you know helping me sort of like knowing what I'm up for or not up for, but also like knowing how things work a little bit better. I feel like it's just easier to work with like, you know, Christina when I sort of know what she's uh, doing on a day to day. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely like learning a lot too. There's a line that you have to walk with the, the micromanaging, you know, where yeah, like yeah. you want to, I mean, I, you know, I'm like this in my own life. I think everybody is to some degree where you're like, you, you want to know what everybody's doing, but also there's a reason why you hired that person. You want to believe yeah. that they're good at their job and you know, you don't want to be like, over their shoulder about everything you know ex exactly and i'm very happy to not have to do that part of the job anymore <laughs> yeah it's nice you know it's interesting to hear you say that you're happy to have a day job i mean I, I obviously like i get that from the standpoint of like you know very pragmatically being able to support yourself but you know it seems like most of the musicians that i i talk to the end goal is to not right the end goal is to just be able to support yourself with music full-time I go back and forth on that, like, even pre-pandemic. Um, like, you know, I obviously, like, I feel so lucky to have a job where I could work from home. You know, I'm still working from home. And I definitely would not have had that had I not, um, you know, been working where I am now. Um, but I don't know. I think, like, long term, I, I like, yeah, I, I wonder if, like, musicians at a certain level will, like, be able to, like, retire well like that's what i, think I mean to, to be fair i think that's that's a concern that like everybody under the age of 50 has at this point that's just yeah just going exactly so um yeah like i don't know if my total end goal is to like like that would be really nice if i could just like play music all the time and and uh that be my job but um i think the end goal is to like where I'm at and, and keep playing music and seeing where it goes. But I like kind of having the the cushion of just like, okay, even if I like whatever, I quit for a year, I still have these skills and I can come back to it. And I still have like something that I can hopefully rely on, you know, down the road. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just always wonder how full-time musicians, what retirement looks like. <laughs> you said you're happy with where you're at. Uh, you mean from the standpoint of the level of success that you're having or just, you know, in terms of, I guess, sort of autonomy to make the music that you want to make? Yeah, I definitely think more of the latter. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know what success totally means um, in the grand scheme of things. Like, like, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, like talking to different artists and like 
you know, comparing where we might think that we're at and like everybody thinks that they're not where they should be. But then you talk to each other and you're like, oh, no, you know, I think I'm probably doing pretty well. But no, I love the autonomy. I love, you know, like I've pretty much made every album that I've wanted to make or worked with anybody that I've wanted to work with or collaborated with anybody. So that like having that freedom is so great. And I still have that now to the, for the most part. And yeah, I think like if I didn't have that, then it wouldn't feel fun. And that's kind of why I'm, I started <laughs> and I'm still doing it. Yeah. That's something you risk as you get to the next level is potentially losing some of that autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, from the standpoint of the labels you're working with. And then once you get to a point where people are kind of dependent on you for their own livelihoods, like you, you mm-hmm. can't really fuck around anymore. For sure. For sure. And like, yeah, I always approach whatever I do very like like it is a job, which I think serves me well. But I think like I'm down to change things or, or like accommodate people as long as it's like a logistical need, you know, like it's like, I want to, you know, if I like, obviously, you know, I, you, you know, let's say you just finished making a record. You're like, I want to put it out tomorrow, but obviously logistically that doesn't always make sense. So I'm like happy to accommodate that way. But I think like, yeah, if somebody's like, Oh, maybe you should make this kind of record. I'd be like, well, that's, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's like, yeah, that's like my, that's like my, um, my duty is to like make the, the music and then we can deal with whatever I've made after that kind of thing. I noticed that on the latest record that you're, you're a producer, which has obviously been the case um, with a lot or maybe most of your, your projects. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about the sort of the downside of micromanaging when it comes to these sort of external things that you don't necessarily want to have to be a part of, but are you, are you a micromanager when it comes to your own music? Yeah, for sure. I think like positively. <laughs> um, I, although I wonder, yeah, when I, when I think of micromanaging, I think of, it's like it has a negative connotation, but maybe that's just me. It's both at the same time. As with anything else, you, you need to know when to be a perfectionist about something and then when mm-hmm. to kind of to back off either, you know, whether it's when to really release that thing into the world or when you're collaborating with music, musicians to to trust their abilities, to, to, to remember why they're the people that you hired to collaborate on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I was talking about this the other day, actually. Like I, I produced my own stuff mainly just because when I write a song, I hear pretty much every part or I can understand, I can see the map of the song like right away. So it just feels easier to, for me to like, at least like get the full base of the song down. So then instead of like trying to like describe sounds to people, which feels a bit moot a lot of the time it can be silly i assume yeah yeah and also like it can be like quite frustrating if people aren't like you know we're all thinking we all think very differently so um to sort of save i think it's like i do it also to save myself and other people the frustration of having to be in my head or trying to be in my head (laughs) um but then like if i invite when i invite people i think it's like for two reasons like either i need them to play a part that I've written on an instrument that I don't play or don't play very well. And then I'm kind of just like, I need you to kind of like for the, yeah, for this record, like Liam who played drums, like there are some songs where I write, you know, most of the songs I had the drum parts written and I was just like, can you just do this? But then there are other things, other um, drum parts or other instruments that I was just like, I just need, I want this person's personality. Like I chose you because I want you on the record and you kind of do whatever you want. And, you know, I'll make it work um, as best as possible. Um, so I feel like it's like kind of those two things. And then like, so yeah, and the second option, I feel like, like, I'm just kind of like opposite of micromanaging and just like 
please like be yourself. I would rather not be in the room. So I don't have to affect what you're doing. <laughs> in an ideal world, though, you know, would you just would you be playing all the instruments and doing the producing, and it would would it just be kind of a, a closed loop? No, I th- I like having people like jo- join in. Like, yeah, like I think I'll keep making records the same way. Kind of like maybe like seventy percent or eighty percent is me, and then like just have touches of people here and there singing or or playing or you know a solo or something. Because I think like. I mean, I assume it probably is this case for other people and that makes the the record more interesting for me or the song more interesting for me because I'm like, it's like something I don't expect. And um, yeah, like, you know, because I've sat on the record, this record for so long, I can see the flaws in it now. <laughs> and um, like, you know, I, I can see where I might have not like challenged myself enough. And so having more people involved can can help with that because you're just, then it forces you to react against maybe what somebody decides to play or, or changes. Like, you know, I got something back the other day actually from somebody for a new, new music and it totally changed what I saw the song as. So it can be really helpful too. I think an underrated aspect of collaboration that people don't really talk about enough is to, you know, at a certain point in the process, when you've been in your own head for a long time, it's hard to, it's hard to even know if it's good, right? It's hard to even know if like, this is actually something that like people will appreciate. And there's, there's something valuable in just kind of exposing people to the music before you release it into the world. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, as long as I don't think, I wonder if I think ever think something's good. I, I, I'm, it's for me, I think it's like more dependent on whether I'm excited by it. Like whether it's good or not. I, yeah, I, I honestly have no idea. I'm always surprised sometimes <laughs> that people like it. By what people, uh, by what people actually uh, get something out of. Yeah. Like I feel like the things that I get out of the music that I make or that I hear in the music that I make are completely different from what most people hear, which is, which is really cool. But like, I'm just always like, wow, <laughs> you know, where, where are you, where are you getting this from? But, um, but yeah, I mean, everybody has their has their own ear and everything. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's yeah, it's easy to get stuck in your head for the most part, and you know that's why I, for this record, anyways, having my friend Steve doing the engineering is just so so helpful. Just to have somebody to say like, is, "What do you think of this?" As opposed to being alone and having to be really confident. When you say what other people are getting out of it, do you mean from, from the standpoint of just like of interpretation and, and what they think the the song is about, or you're just surprised by the things that they like? Uh, both. Like, I think I often, I'm not totally sure about what a song is about. Uh, and then, uh, you know, over the course of writing it and then maybe over the course of recording it, I'll realize something uh, about it. And then, I can see the narrative and so to hear other people's narratives is interesting, but then like musically um, what people may hear as like an influence, for example, is like totally different from, um, but you know, like I, I don't know. A lot of people say that this record reminds them of dinosaur junior, which I've never listened to. I I like, I like Jim Maskus, but uh, (laughs) like, it's not like something I ever listened to. um, And I think that's interesting. Um, but then like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something else that somebody might've compared it to, but, uh, and, and like, it's not a insult or a bad thing or anything. It's just like, where did you get this? From? I love dinosaur Jay Maskus, but I, um, 
you know, granted, I haven't had a lot of time with the record of the singles, but I don't, yeah. I don't get that at all. So <laughs> <laughs> it's strange. I mean, I'm, there, there are probably times when people tell you that it sounds like something that you've never even heard before. Yeah. And I mean, it all depends on perspective and like, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever forget this, but this was a band I played in years ago when I was in New Brunswick and, and in, in, in like the East Coast of Canada. And there's a guy who came up to me after a show and it wasn't music like that far off from like the hang time songs. Um, and he came up to me and he was like, man, I really loved your set. It reminded me of like a blend between Red Hot Chili Peppers, Metric, and Blink-182. And I was like, okay. But I saw... I'm trying to like figure that out <laughs> to do the math in my brain of what that sounds yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, d- I didn't agree with him, but I totally could see how that he made that sort of lineage in his brain. And so, yeah, it's just like, if you're, if that's what you're listening to, you know, or if that's sort of like the, the closest uh, kind of music that you're listening to, to what maybe I would be making, like you would make the, that, that inference. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget that. Cause it was just like, so out, out there. <laughs> and so I was listening to the, uh, the joyful noise interview that you did pretty mm-hmm. recently. And the, the topic of blink 182 comes up and they were like, they were in a way kind of a formative band for you, right? I mean, you were like at the library checking them out. Is, is there some like primordial piece of them, do you think, in the music <laughs> sure, that you I, make? Yeah, I think like melody wise and chord progression wise. Uh, I think like anything after Hang Time that I've made is definitely not, less and less there. Moved so, away from Blink-182. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Hang Time was kind of like, it's kind of like another very, like, because I wrote those songs when I was 28 five or 26 i'm 30 now so you know feels but like it's only four years but it feels like a big gap in life i guess um but uh no they're definitely like i definitely see the melodic lines and chord progression lines but that was just like i would i think i only knew the self-titled like 182 record until i was 20 or something so like it was only one record um but i like i feel like my the things that i listened to as a kid that I can hear influence influencing me now are just so random as wild, I guess, as this guy telling me these list three bands. But, um, you know, like the other day I was talking to my friend Loren and, uh, I remember that like Joe Cocker was like something that I listened to a lot when I was a kid. And it's mom and dad music. Yeah. But like mom and dad music that I really liked, you know, like, and that I listened to a lot and knew all the words. Like it wasn't just like it was on, like I was putting it on when we were driving kind of thing. Just like, yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, Tracy Chapman also. And, but then, yeah, I think like, but then there's like tons, you know, tons of like West African music, like, a, you know, this guy named Salif Keita as well. So like, uh, do you know him? I mean, a little bit. I mean, I've. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I never, but, um, it's high energy music. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but yeah, anytime I listen to any of those, you know, there's a lot more, but those kinds of folks, like, um, I, uh, I can see where, how my music landed, where, how it is now, essentially, which is, which is very cool. Is there a sense of kind of reconciling or bridging the gap between these two very distinct forms of music? I guess I, I mean, I, I think this is like a theme in my life that I've noticed, uh, in maybe the last 10 years is that to me, it's just kind of all the same. Like I don't differentiate necessarily. Like I understand that culturally they have a lot of different places, but 
for me musically like they're like it's kind of I kind of just all put it under pop music because to me like the forms are kind of all the same and they're kind of all trying to do the same thing um but like but even like now to me like you know when I make ambient music like the goal is kind of the same in a way but I I see that everywhere in my life like you know I'm I have a very multicultural family and I see us as you know we also we all have different life experiences but you know the the gaps between us are very minimal um because we grew up all together and things like that so i think it's uh it's it's uh takes a lot of effort for me to like really like separate things out and like understand them as like this is this is pop punk music and it's over here and this is west african music and it's over here it's like i can you know to me there's i probably pick up the same things whereas maybe people are maybe not picking up the same things which makes sense i guess based on how you grew up you had a very diasporic upbringing i mean you're, you're kind of from everywhere yeah yeah or from nowhere which <laughs> which is better i don't know i think that i probably am from everywhere but i feel like i'm from nowhere you know you've been in, in canada for a while and, and you know you're in montreal now but is there a place you consider home other than montreal no is, is that the place you've been the longest no not at all i've been here for four years maybe now um like you know Fredericton, new brunswick which is where i lived before essentially i do consider a home of some kind um but a lot of people have left you know I, i've been living in new york my my entire adult life but i'm from california and there's a way that california kind of will always be home to me okay okay uh yeah yeah then maybe like new brunswick would be that to me in a way um but i yeah I definitely don't feel comfortable there like I do here. Um, but yeah, other than that, like other than those two places, there isn't a place, you know, in all of the places that I've lived in before that I feel like I'm at home or, you know, even know how to get a, get around. <laughs> what is it about New Brunswick that, that isn't quite there? I mean, obviously like Montreal is this mm-hmm. world-class. A lot of people say it's, you know, sort of the, the, the most European city outside of Europe. What about New Brunswick didn't feel like home to you? Uh, I mean, so many things. Um, and like in a positive way or just like in like, or a neutral way, I would say. Like, I think it was my first time really being around people who had uh, spent their entire childhoods or, or most of their lives together. And um, so it's kind of like easy to feel outside looking in, which makes sense if you're just arriving. Um and I think like my what I maybe wanted out of life was maybe not what the majority of people want out of life there. Um, I think, and um, I really feel comfortable when there's a lot of different kinds of people, and you know, because New Brunswick is, you know, on the first of all in Canada, and then on the east coast of Canada, it's just you know a lot of a lot of white folks, which is just the way it is, and. Uh, you know, and in Montreal, to me, I feel like satisfies a lot of like different things. Like it's bilingual and I grew up speaking French and English um, right off the top. Um, my sister lives here and she has family. So there's that. There's a, the music scene caters to a lot of things that I think are essential in, in music. Like there's a lot of push for experimentation, which there is in New Brunswick as well. Like you can kind of just do whatever you want in New Brunswick and nobody's going to give you a hard time. But I think that the difference 
in Montreal is that uh, maybe people will have maybe more of a frame of reference for what you're doing sometimes. Maybe I'm not, you know, I can't, you know, I could probably name several Montreal acts off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know if I could come up with anybody from New Brunswick. So I, I don't know what that says about those specific scenes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's just hard. It's very easy to be like in no way in the East coast. Like the second I moved to Montreal, like, in terms of like musical achievements or whatever, like things change pretty quickly by the time I got here. Um, but that's also like major city, you know, things. In terms of being able to take it more seriously than you were? Yeah, just, yeah, the kinds of shows that I would get or even, you know, emailing somebody about, you know, radio play or whatever, like the second, just being from Montreal seemed to carry a lot more weight, uh, unfortunately, um, for the yeah, New Brunswick folks. But um, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think of what the, because yeah, both, both places really do encourage like weirdness, but I think that, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like in New Brunswick or in when I was in, and this is really just in Fredericton, like in Fredericton, like maybe the music scene of like weird music or even just like indie rock music was maybe like 40 to 70 people who are making it, you know, maybe a hundred at most. And in Montreal, there's just so many more people who are making it. And then also there's just like this real spirit of wanting to go to those kinds of performances um, and going to see that kind of weird art. And so when you have just a bigger size of population, you kind of feel a bit more um, encouraged to do it. And then also because if you're seeing more people that look like you or look different than maybe the archetypal, like, you know, experimental musician or whatever, it's, uh, it just can feel more comfortable. And so, um, for, yeah, for, I think maybe for that reason, I, I like it a lot here, but, you know, I'm also spent a lot of time in Europe. I spent a lot of time in bigger cities. So I'm like a city person at the end of the day too. Maybe New Brunswick is a good place to develop as an artist. You know, there, there are, there are upsides, right. To having a small, assuming you're part of that community yeah. to having that small community, but then you kind of have to graduate at a certain point. Yeah. Or I mean, graduate or change. I don't, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would, I'm weary to call it like a graduation. Cause it like, feels like it's like one is up further up than the other, but I think it's just very different maybe, but Sure, but in order to sort of like progress in terms of reaching more people, it's necessary perhaps to move out. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for what I was doing, it was very necessary. There, there's a, you know, there are bands in New Brunswick that stayed and are doing great too. Um, and, but I think that they were doing something that catered a lot more to what folks were doing, what folks are from the east coast like and also they're from there so you know they're they like it's the music that they are putting out is just like so from you know that that part of the world whereas like i you know i'm just a guy making music you're a guy making music that sounds like uh red hot chili peppers cross with exactly. Metro, cross with blink yeah. too which and that's that's very montreal yeah <laughs> you were talking before about one of the nice parts of having uh, collaborators early on is you is knowing whether or not you are challenging yourself enough, and and I, I'm kind of, I'm curious what what it means to to challenge yourself and for you in the context of making music. Um, just, I mean, 
cool, like, or just like plainly is probably just trying things that I haven't tried before. Um, each time, usually every record I go into, I have like a pretty clear vision of what I'm trying to do um, song by song, but then like holistically. But yeah, I think, I think like mostly it's like, I'm not a trained musician, but I, I sang in choirs and um, did piano lessons when I was younger. So I have a bit of like a, and did a bit of music, uh, like whatever, uh, Western uh, music theory classes in university. So I have like a bit of like an understanding of music or Western music theory. And so I'm just trying to like make sure that when I look at my music through that lens, that I'm not like repeating the same things over and over again, but I'm like breaking from that. But then at the same time, not just using Western music theory as like a compass, but it's just maybe a way for, because I find that really hard. Like it's almost like I kind of look at it as like, like physics or like a science in that like you know when, I don't know you have those subjects in school that you're like really struggling at and that you don't just don't get for some reason and music, yeah music theory is that for me which is unfortunate as a musician I actually feel like it's I feel like it's an advantage to me um yeah I don't because I feel like I understand just enough to be able to collaborate to a certain extent and you know and, and it's I'm learning you know right now I'm trying to like understand time signatures better um, or more complicated time signatures better. So I like there are, I can see the gaps, but I feel like I can just approach music for me anyways. And, and I have debates with my friends who are like music theorists, but this, but I feel like I can approach music more freely and from those different angles. So I can approach it more from like, Oh, okay. So like, how can I use these pedals differently? Or how can I use my voice differently? Or how can I use, you know, this guitar technique differently and rather then like how can I you know do make this harmony different than I did the last time or um you know should I put a key change here or whatever so but you know you can obviously do that if you're trained in music theory too I just feel like I like the way that I can see that the way I approach music is different to to a lot of a lot of folks but uh I don't know maybe a music theorist will, will would uh, I would love for somebody to analyze it and analyze my music and tell me what they think you're not an outsider artist in the sense that like you know that you're a professional music musician you're other around other professional musicians but maybe there's something to that you often do get the most unique stuff coming from people who are complete outsiders yeah 100 percent. and like also just this idea of what what is good uh generally understood as what is good like what is a good voice for example, or what is good playing? I think those things really need to be challenged. And I think those those are like the limitations, can be the limitations of Western music theory. But yeah, I mean, I, I look at theory as just like, it's just a way for us to communicate via writing when we weren't able to record things. And I wonder what the relevance of theory will be now that we, we have that so re- readily available to us. Like, I still think it is useful um, and has its yeah it definitely has its use and I use it every day um, but I think that there are other ways to communicate through music that are as valuable and I would love to explore those as much as I do you know sort of the more um, traditional ways as well. The flip side of that the, you know the argument that you'll hear from people 
you know, in, in sort of, I guess, a, the, the academy is that you need to know the rules in order to break them, right? That's what they tell you about painters, right? They, for like yeah. Picasso, that's the whole thing, right? He, you know, he had to demonstrate that he was a technically great painter before he could develop like cubism. I mean, the, <laughs> there are no rules. <laughs> There's like literally no rules. Like, uh, I mean, I approach music as just play. Like, it's just like a play. And all of the things that I have are essentially just toys. Like, you know, you can take it seriously, but like, these are just like things that we use to make sound and sound is pretty like uh, ephemeral thing. So like, you know, what are, I don't understand what these rules are exactly. Like what, what, what rules, you know, like, you know, obviously like I get that, you know, don't play your music at a, a decibel level that will like deaf make people deaf don't harm people with your yeah, music. Like, that's a that's a good rule i think yeah like i think there are like practical and logistical rules but uh and you know and music theory does like enter that in some capacity but like music is literally just like a thing that we do and we've formalized it which makes sense because we formalize so many things so many processes but there are literally are no rules you can do whatever you want and i i always try to tell younger people and i'm still very young but younger people who want to play music or just people who want to play music for fun and are intimidated and it's just like you can just do whatever you want like if you're enjoying what you're doing and it sounds horrible to somebody else's ear then great you know like at one point distortion sounded horrible to people <laughs> and now we do it on purpose so so much of it is just dependent on because because you had met you had mentioned in one of the interviews i listened to I think Lorraine is how it's pronounced. And I, yeah. I wasn't familiar with her and I listened to her and it just completely, completely blew me away. But you know, that's an example of probably it, it's the kind of music that, that probably, you know, a lot of people have to spend time with mm. and people don't really spend time with music as much because obviously like attention spans are shorter, but also I just think the ways that we consume music over Spotify, you don't feel as obligated as you did when you went out and bought, you know, a $20 record to really yeah. sort of sit down and spend several days with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely don't spend as much time either, but I do try to come back to things and I do like, I will really like work something. If I think that there's something I feel like I'm, I hope that I'm better at this now, but I feel like when I listen to something new and I don't like it, I can usually, or I can try to try to tell whether or not um, I don't like it because there's something that's maybe like challenging me about it. You could tell if things had, have merit, you know, you, you could tell yeah, if there, you could tell if there's something there. Yeah. And, but also like a lot of my favorite, bands or musicians are bands that when I first listened to them I didn't like at all like I was like wow this is not good and now you know and now I like I really love them and so there's just like always like a point where something turns I don't know what it is um and then I end up you know loving it and so I try to always come back to stuff at least two or three times you know and I'll like I, I my bookmarks are a mess I just have so much music and I just try to see yeah because most things do have some kind of merit and probably deserve your time. But I, I mean, I, and also like most, I think about like, if you're sort of like a non-active music listener, so somebody who's like, not like maybe like pursuing music, like maybe you and I are all the time. I feel like that those, a lot of those folks are 
probably listening to music that is just presented to them because they're not actively seeking it out. And so they're, but they tend to, you know, like a lot of what they're listening to, but then, you know, maybe that person might come to one of my shows or something and uh, end up liking it. And I'm always so bewildered because I'm like, this is nothing close to what you're listening to. Um, but I think that inherently because we are sympathetic you know, beings, <laughs> we, if we are presented something enough times, maybe, or, or we give ourselves enough patience, we probably will find something that we like about it. If, even if we don't fully, you know, enjoy it down the line. I notice that to a certain degree that, that repetition does, that plays a role in your music as well. Is, is that, is that sort of a foundation that you can build on top of? Yeah. I think the next, Yeah. I, I definitely like repetition. I'm trying to be better at using it. I feel like I kind of beat it, beat it as down to far down to the ground as I could. And now it's time to find different ways to do it. Um, yeah. I've been trying to figure out how to write a pop song without a chorus, but using the verses as maybe the repetition or like bits of verses as repetition um, and it, I like the songs. We'll see if <laughs> other folks do. But uh, yeah, I think that to me, that seems like a maybe more uh, ec- economical way of like using repetition rather than like, you know, always repeating the same things. But I think that that has a lot of power. And like, so like I, when I listened back to like Salif Gita, I was mentioning earlier, like I noticed like that's where I probably got that from because it's just is a lot of repetition and then layering. And then you get all these like, interesting melodies weaving in and out and the just like you know the the increase of of you know the repetition of words does give some kind of emotive power to the music i don't know why um but or a line can have you know different meanings each time you hear it which i think is cool um but yeah i think moving forward it's like gonna be gonna try to be a lot more intentional about how I do that rather than it being sort of, um, yeah, uh, feeling maybe cathartic or whatever. It's meditative. I mean, in, in the most literal sense, maybe the foundational idea behind transcendental meditation is, is repetition, mm-hmm. right? You sit there and you, you repeat this mantra to yourself over and over again. And that's something that you can, to a certain extent, recreate in music. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think that's one of my favorite parts of music and I think that was my my initial um, intrigue into like ambient or drone music is repetition or repetition or like very slowly changing uh, pieces of music have that power um, and also um, provide like a venue for patience in music um, that and patience and peace <laughs> in music. And as you know, somebody who has like t- tinnitus, that's like very nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, yeah, like somebody like, you know, it's like Sarah Devachi. It's like, you know, I, it's just, she's like, you know, uh, one of the masters of that. And, um, or I was, I saw, you know, my label mates soon's uh, this weekend. And that was another band that, or another set of musicians that also are just so patient with things. Um, patience and then you have a you have a really great payoff but then also the lead up to the payoff is a payoff in itself like you know 
it's not just nothing and then something it really is uh, bringing you somewhere and and you want to you don't you're not just like waiting for the release you're like you're in it the whole way through and it circles around to what you were talking about before in that i mean what is a course but a release right yeah it's it's all yeah it's payoff which sometimes is just fun to have that like it's so nice when you have that um but uh, I think there's like other ways to get around that release in music. Um, and, you know, I've, tons of people have figured out how to do it, but I, I'm just trying to think of a way maybe that is interesting for me to do it, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel very much in like the interest. I don't want to get too in the weeds about it here, but, but, um, but, uh, you said you wanted to, to write a song without a chorus and that, in order to accomplish that, perhaps that means writing verses that are catchy or hooky and repetitious, but like, aren't you kind of describing a chorus? No, uh, no. Well, yeah. So like the idea would be to write a pop song without a chorus, but to have like, not necessarily have the verses have to be like fully catchy or even have to repeat the verses but like at least bring back like a theme that is brought. So like, let's say um, if you're working like the ABCD structure or whatever, like your A section is repeated after the first B section, but maybe it's only half of the A section or a quarter of the A section. So mentally you're still registering. You're, you're not like getting lost, like in like a prog rock song or something like you're, you're, there's still something that feels familiar to follow. Um, but there is always some, a new element added on maybe. And so it maybe allows for like that, like for me, like that's a a compositional challenge of like, um, how do you kind of keep it interesting, but also how do you keep it, keep things moving and keep things um, pretty open as well. Um, But yeah, I, yeah, otherwise, yeah, otherwise it would just be like your verses would just be chorus. Do you think about songs in terms of fragments and I guess sort of not to be too cliche, but puzzle pieces and and how they fit together uh i think after the fact yeah or like when i'm arranging uh the other instruments for sure but when i'm writing like i i mean i don't actually write usually i just sit down and play something and then that'll be the song um most of the time because i you know i guess at the core of it i am probably like an improviser first and so yeah you know every every like few months there'll be like a two-week period where i feel like i can write a bunch of songs and sometimes they're not good (laughs) um but uh i can sit down and pretty much just like write it like play a song play something and that'll be the song um but then after that i have to like figure out what the song is and so then i have to like figure out what the parts are um you know in terms of like okay what are the drums doing here or what is the bass doing here or whatever with the horns doing here um but yeah when i'm writing it's just kind of like very fluid yeah you can't force yourself to write i can it's usually excuse me isn't very fruitful a lot of the times i find that uh and yeah i find my my it's not a struggle but it's a yeah or equivalent of a struggle is more like i have to really try to convince myself not to write sometimes um or like it's like gets in the way of my life so like there are periods of periods of time where i'm not writing like right now which is 
lovely and it's great and I feel I can be a productive person uh, in society <laughs> and then you know when I'm writing it really is like it's 3 3 a.m and I really need to write a song like I know that I have a song and it's either like am I gonna stay in bed or am I gonna write the song and if I'm gonna write the song then I'm probably gonna demo it which means I'll be up for like five hours um and have to work the next day and so it feels like when I'm writing, I feel very much like it's like a compulsion and I can't stop. Um, and so it, uh, it, it feels like a bit anxiety, anxiety inducing because, you know, it's like, you gotta, gotta get the next song out. Is it good feeling overall? I mean, that, that kind of sounds wonderful. I mean, obviously, you know, not, not in the sense of being beholden to it, but it just, it sounds great. And, and so many musicians or writers or creative people who do spend so much time banging, their head against the wall would probably give anything for these like reoccurring extended periods where they can just kind of flow. Grass is always greener, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's unpleasant for you. I know. I think like if I had my choice between the two, I'd still pick my method. Um, but it is like, it, it is like, you know, it's like, I think it affects my life in, in the, in those brief periods, you know, like this is like maybe a two week span. It like, I do not feel good at all Um, like I feel good that I'm writing like I like the songs and I'm listening to them but I don't like you know I'm not sleeping I'm not eating too much it's purging yeah for sure for sure yeah like it's it's like all consuming like if I'm hanging out with somebody I'm like thinking about the songs like they're there um (laughs) so it you know it ultimately leads to a good thing but yeah like those those periods of times can feel like very uh very heavy but I, yeah, I still wouldn't trade it for, because yeah, I've, I've definitely gone through the other thing of like just trying to write songs, and and I think that's good to do too. Um, and and each, you know, when I haven't written for for a while, like I'll try to just do that to see, because you know, I always, you know, I always get worried. I'm like, oh, am I going to write another song? <laughs> Even though it's a bit silly to think like that, but so I do go through that. But yeah, I would, I find that process a lot more frustrating, and it feels a lot less natural to do it that way. Like it really feels like, um, I don't know. It feels more like, yeah, it feels more like work as opposed to like just a pleasurable. Do you think that there, there could be for you a healthier way of, 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 of dealing with that, of really just kind of, uh, I guess incorporating it maybe a little bit better into your day-to-day life. Uh, maybe, maybe I, it's definitely better than it was like, you know, when I first started, when I first started, I think because I had such a delay, I started really only writing songs when I was 19. So, you know, yeah, really like writing songs when I was 19. That's so. not, that's not late. <laughs> uh, I feel like, or like, but I, or, but, but like writing songs, but like, I guess like writing songs and playing music period, you know, like it was all in, in yeah, which I, I mean, it, it, maybe it's on the late side, but it's, you know, if you told somebody that they wouldn't like, be taken aback by how late of a starter you were. No, but I think, yeah, maybe I'm still carrying around, like, you know, at that time when I would tell people how long I was doing it for, they were kind of like, oh, whoa, like, that's, you know, you know. Um, it feels, compared to, like, maybe a lot of the people that I play music with, because they're such, you know, they're technically are such good musicians, too, because they've been doing it for, you know, 10 more years than me. Um, a lot of the time and I will also dedicate themselves a lot more to like particular instruments. Um, 
you know, I definitely feel like there's a, there's like a lag, um, musically, but also like musically and like musically culturally, like, I feel like I'm like starting to catch up to everybody who's in my age bracket. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I hope there's a better way for me to do it. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there is something that feels like necessary about going through the, that weird period. <laughs> um, but I think maybe it's like a, like an artist myth, like you have to suffer to, <laughs> to get something good or whatever. But yeah. It sounds like when you did decide that writing and playing music was something that you wanted to do, that you really, you really dove into it full force. I mean, was there, was there just a kind of a, a switch that flipped in your life? Uh, sort of. I think I always probably wanted to do something performative. Like I was a pretty, uh, like full-time athlete when I was a, a teenager or even like even before then. And then I just started dabbling in music and it seemed fun. And it, I'm, I'm not of, I mean, I'm more confident now, but especially at that point, I wasn't a very confident person. But something about music, I knew that I could do, even though like I had no frame of reference for it. Nobody had ever told me I was good or bad or whatever. Uh, it was just something that I was like, no, I can do that. Um, and I still have that today. I like feel very confident in music, even though, you know, and obviously still have doubts and whatever. But even though like over in my life, I feel like I could be more confident in other things that I probably am like fine at um but there yeah I, I remember just going to shows in in Fredericton and, and seeing people perform and it, you, you know I think like for many people it's just seeing people that either you know or that aren't like you know like Madonna or whatever or Beyonce like performing and and doing it maybe as their job or doing it at least in in like a professional setting and being like oh I and I remember just I think I saw like Aiden Knight who's from BC um playing or something maybe somebody like him and i was like oh i can i can do that like that seems very attainable um, <laughs> um and i feel like each maybe each time i play to a bigger set of people um or i see somebody playing to like a big bigger set of people that maybe i usually do i feel like i can do that but i, I don't know why i have that confidence um but uh yeah i don't know We'll see. Maybe there'll be a point where that changes. If you make a list of the things that people have the least confidence in themselves about, I would I would assume that singing is pretty high up there. I mean, like people are people are terrified of singing in front of other people, even like good singers. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, and that's why I think my I don't understand why I I really like it. I really like it. I mean, there was obviously points where I was really nervous about doing it. Um, and I played, you know, I played my first show in two years on Friday and there was a small part of me that was nervous, but definitely wasn't nervous about singing. Um, yeah, like if anything, like I, I played two sets that night. I played bass uh, with my friend Ali from Adelaide and like I was more nervous for that. But I feel like if it's my thing, it's like if it goes wrong, then I'm accountable for it. And also the, the worst thing that... I mean, I always say this, like the worst thing that usually can happen on stage, uh, but barring like people being 
you know, idiots or abusive or whatever, you know, like just like in terms of like performance setting, the worst thing that can happen is that you like, you make a mistake or something like that. So like, and you know, you make a mistake and then you move on. Like that's. And people probably don't notice like nine times out of 10 that you've made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like, yeah, like the, the, the fears that I have about being on stage are like, falling uh on my face or like i had a vase of flowers on friday so i had like uh, images of me like hitting the table and like the vase breaking and like having to like clean that up in front of like you know 80 people (laughs) um those are more of my anxieties but yeah uh i don't know music is fun should be fun so i it's it's and singing is really fun and and feels that feels like very natural to me so it doesn't necessarily scare me to have to sing in front of people at all yeah i I like entertaining i guess (laughs) Do, do you get a sense of how being multilingual if at all has played a role in your in your songwriting oh uh yes uh I was thinking about this like maybe a month ago. Um, yeah, I I realized early, like you know, when I was a kid, I would listen to like Korean songs, and I would listen to a bunch of things, and um, I think that contributed to me not caring about lyrics very much, which is a funny thing to say as a songwriter. But I I don't totally. I'm I'm a songwriter, but I do understand myself more as just a person who makes music and one of the mediums I make that through is like through singer songwriter music. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think the effect of being multilingual and my parents speaking different languages too, um, is that I, I think I just don't focus on, on lyrics that much. And I see that maybe more like, I think my lyrics can be pretty vague or pretty, uh, overbroad um but I, I see the effect more maybe as like a consumer um in that i i like i'm happy i'm very happy to listen to things and not know what the person is singing about um even if it's isn't in a language that i understand it often takes like maybe 10 10 to 20 lessons of something for me to realize what a song is about <laughs> i'm from the states and i grew up speak speaking english and like most of the pop music in the world is is, is english so it's it's just, it's served up to us. But I wonder if speaking multiple languages perhaps gives you a better appreciation of the aesthetic qualities and musicality of words rather than, you know, necessarily affixing specific meanings to them. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 When I, when I write, I worry much more about the, the phrasing of words rather than the words themselves, like, or, you know, whether how they rhyme or how they sound within a melody. And I'm very, I get kind of like put off when something, when I hear something from myself or from somebody else where the phrasing doesn't quite work, but like somebody like forced a word um, into a sentence or into a stanza just to make it work. And so, but I mean, that probably like limits my appreciation for like certain folk folk musics and things like that um that are very word based but or hip-hop maybe uh no i like i'm i'm yeah i 
I, I don't know. I find hip it's so much of its wordplay. It yeah, it is, and I mean, I don't listen to hip hop like a bunch, um, which is I'm sacrilegious to say as a, a black guy in North America. Um, but no, that's sorry, that's just more of a joke. Um, but uh, no, I think there's something because hip hop is so focused on you a lot of the time, maybe less so now, um, or I guess still because it still is very much within the medium, like the musician and the or the rapper is still focused on the words making sense within the music. So like there is the flow is so important. So if the flow, if the word doesn't fit for the flow, then often the choice will be made to like, you find another word or like to like contort the word so that it makes sense or like add a syllable or remove a syllable. Um, but yeah, I definitely like the type of music I listen to the least would be like, more word-based music, I guess. Um, it's like a superpower in a sense as a songwriter to be divorced from the meeting in that I think part of the reason, part, part of the way that you're able to improvise lyrically and, and operate in this flow state is because you're not as invested in the meaning. I mean, that that's so much of the time. That's what, that's what trips people up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the music uh, should de- should be maybe more the dictator of, of the feeling. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's just my opinion. Cause like there's tons of musics that are really so word dependent and I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be better at, 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 uh, having appreciation for that. Um, yeah, like, yeah, my, one of my friends put, you know, I'm playing in her band now. Um, and, she plays folk music and country music and it is like a lot of times one, four, five. And, you know, I obviously like the music cause I'm playing in it. Um, but there's a lot of music that is around that, that maybe she's showing me or that I come up, come through or, or find myself on that. Um, you know, I think that if I didn't, wasn't maybe more critical of the way that I listen to music, I would definitely have written off in the past. Um, but I, but I think, you know, I am still a person. Ultimately, I'm like more drawn to things that are maybe musically a bit more interesting rather than lyrically more interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I do. When I am writing, I still am like, I think 50% of the time I'm aware of what I'm saying and then the other 50% I'm just not aware. And I try to not be aware just because I feel like that then is like the most subconscious uh, writing is that way. And so I'm maybe being more forthright with myself about things. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if other songwriters feel the same way about whether or not when they're writing consciously, whether they feel like they're being less honest with themselves. And, but also like not to get too essential, but like, whether honesty is necessary in songwriting is also a <laughs> kind of worms. But yeah, my goal is to be at least honest with myself because it's a way for me to discover things about myself. I, I don't know. Honest is an interesting way to put it because I don't know that one of the ways of approaching it is necessarily more honest than the other. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wonder, like in my opinion, anyways, I guess I can just speak for myself. Like, I know that if I'm thinking about what I'm writing, I'm going to be trying to force a meaning on a song or even try to write about a specific situation. 
whereas maybe the feeling of the music is a lot more complex than that. But then if you're, if I'm just writing off the top of my head and not thinking about it, I'll often come back to those songs and, um, and be quite surprised. But like, but at the same time, like, mm. but then I think of a song like Allies, which I was trying to write for so long. I think I did write that like off the top of my head, not thinking about it. Um, but it was felt very honest. But at the same time, I was consciously trying to write a song like that. So maybe I don't know, maybe a balance can be struck somewhere. Yeah, I, maybe honest is honesty is just being true to whatever you need in the moment and whatever the song needs in the moment. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think like I, yeah, I think I'm just I'm scared of like things being too simple a lot of the time. Like, um, you know, what well, we talked about like you know PR and stuff like that, and one of the things you have to do at this point is you know write what the song is about and. I find that kind of uh, bizarre to do because I've never had to explain myself and I still, you know, like I, to me, like, you know, there, a song like Allies is very straightforward to what it's about, but then uh, like the title track, Hang Time, to me is like about like five different things. Like each time I hear it, I hear different things. So, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I don't know what it's about, but it means a lot to me. <laughs> Um, so it feels weird to try to like ascribe a. It feels weird to try to like simplify a mean uh, a meaning of a song, but um, but maybe for some people that that uh, that's the way that they they, they approach songwriting is that I want to write a song about this specific thing that happened and it's very clear. Mm-hmm. 